You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. everyone and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today we are talking about a topic that where I'm sure absolutely no one else out there has any interest in, and that's the topic of sex. Yeah, I interviewed my pastor last time when he heard who was coming on the show next week and what the topic was. He said, I'm going to be listening to that show. Yes, this is a topic we all really like to talk about. And to do that, I've decided to bring on Johnny Grant, or Jonathan Grant, I think he prefers to go by Johnny, who wrote the book Divine Sex. Now, he studied law and politics of the undergraduate, and then he went for ordination training at the Church of England, for the Church of England through Cambridge and Utah, and he's got an MA in Spiritual Theology and a THM, the Master of Theology, from Regent College. So, uh, Johnny, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Now, my audience might not know who you are, so tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Uh, in terms of, of writing this area and, and pastoring in this area, you mean? Sure, and going into ministry to begin with, period. Yeah, well, I mean, that's an interesting question, and that, that was a, a long journey uh, for me. I uh, grew up, just in terms of the ministry, I grew up um, uh, in a, a family that was involved very heavily in um uh, in, in youth ministry, and, and I guess mm-hmm. I grew up from the very beginning uh, mm-hmm. seeing uh, just the gospel uh, really impact people's lives at a time in life, uh, in their sort of teenage years and college years, where uh, the culture would say, you know, this is the, the time where God is least least relevant uh, to you. And so I guess I sort of grew up on the fuel of that very vibrant, uh, seeing very vibrant encounters with God uh, of people of that age and, and really having their lives changed. And so that was a seed that, that was planted very early on. And I became very involved in ministry uh, through my teenage and college years. And, and so it was always uh, something that, that was very dear and important to me. Um, but I, uh, like my older brother, sort of pursued uh, life in the corporate world and um, had studied for and then uh, worked both in, in corporate law and then also in investment banking in London. Uh, but all the way through that, there was really a sort of parallel journey, I guess, going on in the sense of being called uh, to ministry in a more... Um, in a more full sense, a more full-time sense. So at a certain point, uh, I really did feel that call out of uh, the corporate world into a full-time ministry. And um, and that's really where this sort of sense of, of vocation, um, particularly in this area of spiritual and sexual formation, um, came from. And it was uh, at a my first, as I was doing my ordination training through a large sort of vibrant um, church in central London in the UK, and what we found uh, when we were there, and, and I was really charged and responsible for how do you build community life and also the sort of spiritual formation of, of the church. And we would do, you know, the usual uh, kind of uh, discipleship courses and, and, and apologetics courses and all that sort of thing. And what we began to realize among this group of largely 20s and 30s, um, largely unmarried group, really, peer group, that... Um, the the issue that kept coming up in almost every conversation we had, and as we got to know this group much better, 
we realize that you can't really do spiritual formation without doing without dealing with the area of relationality and sexuality and um, uh, and you know how do you actually do this well, especially in a church environment? And so that's uh, I guess it, the seeds of of where this project came from, this book came from, and even beginning to start to think about these issues was was really in that group. So it came sort of out of the pastoral soil of this uh, sort of seething mass of humanity, which was trying to work out uh, you know what to do in this area. How do we live well uh, with our sexuality? Mm-hmm. As Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell people, we've only, we've only got an hour for the interview today. I saw the time that Jonathan could grant us. But people, this is a book that I, I went through and I was pretty much circling something on nearly every page because I thought, yeah, this is that good. And as we start talking about this, I, I can't but think of something I saw a friend of mine once say on Facebook where he said, you know, the big problem in our culture is that we think about sex way too much. And I'm kind of curious what you think about how I respond to this, is that I thought the problem was the exact opposite. I said, no, the problem isn't that we think about it too much, it's that we think about it way too little. We do it. We dream about it. We fantasize. You can have pornography about it. You can play it on the screen, anything you want, but you do not think about it really. And what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, you know, there's so many different layers to that mm-hmm. question, but I, I think the key thing is that we, um, and I think this is something I try and bring out the book, that it, it, I think what's sort of happened in the last generation particularly is that we have become mm-hmm. an intuitive generation and so that we travel with a, 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 a sort of way of feeling about mm-hmm. things and we don't actually put anything under, or much under the critical lens anymore. And, and I think um, that's a huge problem for the church because we've really stopped talking about sex as part of our natural, uh, uh, you know, topic of conversation. And so I, I think one thing that we found in this group was that, um, you know, people would sort of travel with a, with an intuitive sense of, of, you know, what the right way forward was or what the good life looked like, but actually didn't put much under the critical lens of, of actually how does my faith really relate to what I'm, you know, the things that I'm, I'm doing or feeling or, mm-hmm. or, or traveling with uh, in, my, in my life. And the church wasn't really speaking into those issues, so it wasn't really giving people a, a reliable roadmap or even a, being a, a sort of good conversation partner on, on that journey. And so I think that's the first thing, that as, as church we don't, we don't think about it much, although it, it sort of dominates our lives, which is an irony of, um, of church when you think about it. Um, mm-hmm. But the second part of that, I think, is that I think we think about sex, sex and sexuality in, in such narrow terms, and so in some ways we think about it in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I'm sort of, I guess, trying to broaden out is actually if we think of sexuality as our core, uh, you know, our whole identity uh, as persons, as gendered beings in relationship, how do we actually think well about the whole complex of those relationships rather than just, you know, the sort of physical act of sex? And so I feel that what our culture has done is really narrowed that uh, field, that range of conversation down to a very, um, you know, a very claustrophobic space, really. And so I think as a church, we can open that out you know, with the full range of the gospel. So I think you're right. I don't think we think about it enough, and I think I think we're thinking about it in the wrong ways. And it seems that for many Christians today, and Christians who want to take the Christian faith seriously, they seem to be caught between two extremes. On the one hand, you've got this world around that says, sex is just all about love, no need to limit love, whatever you do, if you feel it, you want to do it, go ahead, do it. You shouldn't put barriers and restrictions on sex. And then on the other hand, you've got some people in the church who are practically so extremely say, you know, sex is 
dirty. Uh, you should only save it for a person you love, though. And you, you don't want to think about it. You don't want to talk about it. That's something that's very, very private. So don't share and don't discuss it. And you're caught between these two extremes. Like, what, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's very, it's a difficult, um, and, and I guess the, as we, we propagate the extremes, uh, you get into a vicious cycle of, of uh, groups swinging between the two in reaction to the other. And I think, you know, with, always with these things, there's, there's a place in the middle, um, which is, is the hardest place to, to travel, but it's also the place where I think the church needs to be. And I think what we, um, <clears throat> I think the sort of the, the really key uh, part of this is, is actually really asking the bigger questions, and it's why I think the church needs to, speak well into it and to really think well about these issues um, mm-hmm. is, is really the idea of, I think we have, in terms of one of those extremes, the, the strict rules and boundaries, we've really given people rules without vision. And so, mm-hmm. and the question that often comes up, you know, among teenagers and college students and particularly that age is, you know, how far can I go? What sort of boundaries should I put around the relationship? And mm-hmm. I always feel like the real question to ask people is, well, what, what do you really want? Right. Not just in, in, on, on a Friday night, but what do you really want for your relationships and for your mm-hmm. life? And I think that's the question that neither the laissez-faire, um, you know, sort of cultural imperative of, hey, love is love, just let it, just express it regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, all the rules without vision don't actually answer that key question is, is what do you really want from your life in terms of relationships? And I think when we start to present particularly as people who have been married and understand, you know, the road ahead, that actually if you give people a vision of faithfulness and fullness, they begin to understand why Scripture would protect sex within a, within a garden, you know, that there would be a sense of protecting it from certain predators that would come mm-hmm. and destroy the fruit. So I, I guess my project and my hope for the church is that um, we would be able to really present to our people what the big vision of uh, the Christian way of life looks like and following Christ looks like and how our sexuality plays into that, uh, not as a sort of negative restriction, but actually as an empowering, um, you know, something that's a really positive way mm-hmm. of living. Well, what do you think the Christian view of sexuality should be? Well, that's a big question. Can you, uh, can you make that a little more specific? Uh, okay, that's picture <coughs> a young man, then, since you're talking about people who are struggling and wondering how far to go. A young man or a young woman, in fact, maybe speak to both, who are thinking of getting married and they're, they're looking forward, they're not sure how they should think about sex, what they should be anticipating and such. I mean, what would you tell them? In terms of, of the future or their life in, in life now, uh, prior to that, or both? Both. Um, I, you know, I think the, the sort of key is, is starting with the end in mind, and, and I think, uh, you know, I guess as someone on the other side of that, you can express to them, you know, this idea that, um, that actually the, the big vision of, of uh, Christian marriage is that you would enter into, um, you know, through a whole lot of ways, but one of that is the bond of marriage and sex. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, the Old Testament view of this, was, which I think is carried into the New Testament, is essentially that. Um, in sex, we, that is the marital bond that we become, in a sense, one flesh. Mm-hmm. And, but also that that is part of a much bigger journey of becoming one flesh, that relationally, you know, we express vows to each other on, on, on that day, but we, we, they're really vows that we would live into this journey of becoming one flesh, um, and our sexuality is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say to people is that we want that to be a hugely positive experience. But what can often happen is that we essentially sort of guard that with, with barbed wire, figuratively speaking, mm-hmm. uh, around young people's relationships leading up to marriage. 
Uh, and so there's this sort of sense that they're constantly rushing towards the barbed wire and trying, either getting tangled up in it uh, or trying to stop right before that fence. And so sex can actually take on a very negative connotation as something that we are constantly resisting and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it becomes a sort of dark and, and sort of dirty thing that we're being told to sort of despise for a period and then to embrace after a certain day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the sort of divisive um, dualism that we've got into um, within Christianity is, is how do we actually think well about sex all the way through? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I guess, you know, you might think about it in terms of the garden that actually fruit only tastes right and it's, it only actually presents itself fully when it's, when it's picked at the right time. Mm-hmm. And it, that doesn't make the fruit, uh, you know, bad before then, uh, but it makes it ripe at a certain time. And so, uh, you know, that expression of, of, of leading up to marriage or, or even, in, in, and I think another, sorry, Nick, just to say another part of this is I think we have overly defined as the Christian community uh, sexuality around marriage mm-hmm. uh, exclusively. And so, you know, people are, are, are defined in two categories. They're either married or they're not, or they're waiting. Uh, so they're, they're either in on the real thing or they're waiting for the real thing or they're left right. out of the thing. And I think that what we also need is a real, really full vision of, of singleness as actually part mm-hmm. of full Christian life. And whether that's a, a rare call to celibacy as a permanent state or just actually a period, a stage of life, um, that we actually give a full vision of, of, of it as a positive stage of life. You know, it's a stage where actually broader friendships can be grown mm-hmm. uh, or involved in all sorts of things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know if that gets quite to your question, but... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, it, you know, as part of that, I think, uh, you know, we get to issues of, because one thing I would say is, I think as a generation, especially in this, this period of time, um, uh, of, of singleness, we have one asked people to stay in that period for a much longer, uh, period of time, so that, um, yeah. the idea of marrying young is seen as naive and, mm-hmm. um, and sort of untenable. But also we've injected into that space a huge amount of, um, pressure. Mm-hmm. In terms of online pornography, um, you know, online dating, which is, is a sort of alluring, infinite space of, of um, romantic options. And mm-hmm. so I think we've asked our people to, to enter into this very uh, challenging and I think almost untenable space. And I mm-hmm. think as churches, we need to think, well, how do we, how do we actually help people journey well? And I think that's about the fullness of relationships that are not explicitly sexual. Yeah, I'm thinking first off about what you said about... Uh, we give a negative message, and all of a sudden, on wedding night, it switches to a positive message. There have been several women who have had a hard time, you can read about these kinds of stories, who mm. they have a hard time like flipping that light switch from off to on suddenly. M- men, for some reason, don't seem to have a problem as much, but for women, do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it's absolutely right. Mm. And and that, I, that can feel like a real a cataclysm, you know, that yeah. you've saved yourself for all, all of this and, and it hasn't quite, um, yeah. you know, the, the returns haven't quite come to pass. Mm. And I, I, I you know, I, I, that's one of the things I talk about in, um, in the book is this, this sort of dualism we have as a culture between fantasy and fatalism around relationships and, and we sort of, uh, you know, or, or schizophrenically swing from one to the other. And I think that's, that is where you get the sort of... Um, you know, the cross-generational wisdom of the church, that's the real power, I think, of mm-hmm. of genuine Christian community is actually having older couples who are able to come alongside young couples before that they're married, as they get ready for marriage, and, and even more importantly, in the early years of their marriage, to actually say, hey, 
this is what the fantasy looks like, but this is what it actually looks like to journey into this relationship of one flesh. You know, it doesn't actually happen on that very first day. It's a real journey. And mm-hmm. um, we have seen over the years a, a number of really close friends who have essentially, they would say their marriage is really saved uh, by older couples who have drawn alongside them and, and essentially sort of mentored and journeyed with them in those early years. Mm-hmm. When you start talking about the fantasy aspects, I was thinking of uh, Kevin Lehman and his book Sheet Music, which my wife and I both read that one separately before mm-hmm. we got married. And he he has a, a whole chapter on the wedding night because he comes from a Christian perspective. And he does give it something. He says, chances are your first time there won't send you to the moon and back. Most people would probably give their wedding night a D or a D minus or something like that, but the good thing is it keeps getting better and better. And I think that's important because usually when we see like a TV show or a movie, it's like all of a sudden the paradise has opened, the angels are singing, I mean, you've entered heaven on earth at that point. And really, I mean, it's something good, it's something wonderful, but most people will probably not experience that on their wedding night. Mm. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And there's a few aspects of that, and, and, and I think that's what we can sort of, um, uh, I think if you, you know, it's a matter of sort of changing the attitude and the orientation and saying, you know, if, if, you, if you travel to a foreign country and, and you, you learn, you immerse yourself in a new language, on day one, you get lucky if you're going to get to the post office or, mm-hmm. uh, or order the right sort of food, you know, but, but this, is the, this is the excitement of a, of a new journey. And, yeah. and it's a journey that you know one day you'll be you'll be a native and you'll be um, you'll be able to sort of have the sophisticated conversations. And I mm. I think that's the really key thing is that you know what my wife and I would say is looking back we're now in our early forties uh, incredibly, but we would say you know it's really only been in the last few years that we feel that we have come to express that language to each other in a way that is. Mm. is what we would call the ideal, you know, that is actually yeah. astounding, and yet. In those early uh, days, there is that sort of sense of, of being babies in this new journey. But if we can bring a sense of, of taking the pressure off and just sort of the joy of that, there's a sort of innocence about that if we're able to sort of journey with that in trust. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the real myths of secular culture is that experience, sexual experience, uh, would help in that situation. And mm-hmm. I think what... The problem with sexual experience is you get a countervailing problem where you bring into the room all of these past partners and, um, you know, there's in, in pornography the same uh, in the way that those experiences get wired into our mm-hmm. brains. You bring into the room with you all those past expectations, disappointments, um, as well as a sense of, uh, of contrast and, and comparison. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say um, with, with my wife and I, there was at least a great sense of innocence about we're not comparing this to any other experience or partner or mm-hmm. and so I guess that's the other thing is I would you know if culture would, would critique the naivety of Christian sexual ethics I think we can also critique the um, you know the myth of sexual experience uh, as a way forward mm-hmm. hey, that, that's something I find special about the marriage union when you wait because you don't have anyone you can compare things to at all. And so what you're getting is pretty much you're saying, this person is the best I've ever had. And that exactly. doesn't change because it's just that one person. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And and you know, it's hard to learn uh, Portuguese when when someone's mm-hmm. trying to speak German to you. And and I think that's the thing. You're immersing yourself in a mm-hmm. new language, and the language is that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think I think the most toxic thing that can happen is you inject into that. Uh, innocence, uh, uh, you know, a whole lot of other voices and experiences and comparisons. Um, but it's, uh, it, but I think you know we haven't prepared people well. We, we have uh, allowed them to feed on the fantasy. Yeah. Uh, we've fed that fantasy because it, it provides them leverage against, um, uh, you know, uh, people sort of taking a more relaxed approach in the lead up to marriage. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, I think you know, there's other ways that we can prepare people so that those early days there can be real innocence and joy um, as well as the sense of, of you know we're not quite there yet which often leads to, to frustration mm-hmm. well, I can remind everyone you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast with me Nick Peters your host this week we are talking with Jonathan Grant about his book Divine Sex which as we know is quite related to marriage and so next week I'm having a guest on in preparation for Easter who's somewhat important to my marriage He's the man who introduced me to my wife, and he's the man who married us as well. And since it's Easter, I I, I asked this guy if he would be willing to, you know, study a a little bit about the resurrection of Jesus to talk about that. Uh, Gary Habermas is going to be on the show again on on, uh, the 26th to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. So... Yeah, a couple of hours of Gary Habermas on Resurrection. That will be a very good show in preparation for your Easter worship. But for now, let's get back to Jonathan Grant and talk about divine sex. And right now, I'm thinking about a friend of mine who is on the path to getting married and how we talk about how things grow over time and such. And I've already told him, I said, like, I know that you and your lady now, you've said your I love you's to each other. He said, yes, yes, you have it. I don't, he said, yes, yes, we have it. I don't deny you mean it, but I'll tell you this at this point also, you don't really have a clue right now as much. That because more and more things will change and you will grow deeper and deeper and know more and more about what that means with experience. And, and something changes when you get married. He says, well, what changes about that? And I said, look, all I can tell you is the covenant bond in marriage, and the only word I could really use to describe it, or in fact, magicker. That's just what comes to mind, because somehow when you unite with that person and keep doing so more and more, you have that bond just develop deeper and deeper. Hello? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm here. Okay, what do you think about that? In terms of that developing bond? Yeah, and and think about how it just grows over time, especially through the the marriage covenant and the sexual covenant. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And and I, um, again, sort of going back to that thing of of how do we prepare Mm -hmm. couples well for this journey? Because I I think the journey is a, you know, in one sense it's a real cataclysm that uh, I think it was Stanley Harawas said, um, you know, you, you inevitably marry the wrong person because mm-hmm. you're marrying another human being. And so it's an incredibly complex um, uh, thing to put together uh, two life journeys and to try right. and, and weave them into one. And I think that's the thing is that sexual bond is a hugely powerful thing and um, uh, one of the more radical 
uh, anthropologist uh, of our day, Helen Fisher, says, you know, mm-hmm. there's really no such thing as casual sex because right. what's released in, in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, neurotransmitters and hormones and all that sort of thing is mm-hmm. essentially an indelible bond. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think you're absolutely right that there's a sort of developing uh, bond and yet there is uh, sort of two ways uh, that it can develop. It's not an automatic thing. And I think that's where we get to the point where sex and sexuality actually is, is so so much more than the physical act. It's really connected right. and driven by relationality. Mm-hmm. And so what we would say to young couples, and it's certainly been our own experience, is actually the quality of your relationship and the things you pursue in terms of how you resolve conflict, how you seek to build trust with each other, uh, and how you seek to, to sort of work the compromises of, of life as you as you you put these two lives together will inform and in a sense will be the most important factor in the quality of your sexual life and the quality of your sexual life will also then increase and deepen the bond between you. Mm-hmm. And so this really holistic uh, sort of journey that happens of, of how do you actually uh, go on this um, covenant journey of, of deepening that one flesh relationship. So um, I think you're absolutely right. You know, that's something that grows over time, but there's things that we can do to inform uh, and really shape that. It seems that we often have a strange view of sex that what matters most is what we physically bring to the table. And that's why you have so many women wanting to get the perfect body and so many men want to get like a six-pack and things like that. And that that can be very hard on a lot of men and women. What I would say is like, if you want to have the best sex that you can with your spouse, I mean, yeah, you should take care of yourself. You should want to be the best that you can for your spouse. But the best thing you can bring to the bedroom is an honest passion and love for a person that you're married with. I mean, I I tell my wife, look, I don't know what it is that you see in me because I'm a 120-pound, 5'7 weakling, and I can never gain weight because I have a steel rod on my spine, and yet somehow you're crazy about me. I I do not understand that at all. And mm. that, that main thing is, I mean, our happiness doesn't rely on technique or just for purely physical. I mean, we don't deny the physical, but it's mm. it's the passion that we bring to that relationship. Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, as they say, the the most important sexual organ is the brain, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's the that holds the heart and and all the sort of reflective relational capabilities. And and I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's um I think it's astounding actually the extent to which we live in the we live in the reality of relationships, and yet we have swallowed so easily that secular myth of you know that that, that the perfect body actually in, increases. Um, the quality of the sexual experience and that just hasn't been our experience at all you know mm-hmm. I, I would say we were physically in our peak in our 20s and yet uh, the quality of relationship and the quality of, uh, of um, our physical relationship now mm-hmm. is you know it's 10 times what it was in our 20s and I, I never believed people in their 40s when they said that to me but, yeah uh, now I, I, I you know I can't believe how much that's been vindicated and I think it's exactly as you're saying because the quality of the relationship is what drives sexual intimacy mm-hmm. and uh, it takes a long time to build that trust and you know what we've sadly seen over the years is the number of young couples and including Christian couples who will uh, you know dissolve a marriage within the first couple of years and I, and I think that's because those first two years really are a cataclysm uh, mm-hmm. in the sense of, of putting these two 
disparate different lives together and seeking to, to journey on the same path is a, is a huge challenge, which I, I just don't think we have uh, done a great job of preparing young people for. Well, this uh, year for my wife and I in July would be our sixth together, and I've been told we've probably passed through the hardest time of all, and we've certainly gone through a lot of struggles in our five years, but I tell people that I prefer to say, unless we're talking on some sort of academic level or such here, we do not use the D word around mm -hmm. here. And mm -hmm. that's the problem. To me, people, it's it's an option on the table. And it's, if you come to marriage and you have it as an option on the table, you probably don't really have marriage at all. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and um there, I, I guess you know this is where you get into a sense of, of formation, and, and both Esther and I, uh, my wife Esther and I, came from mm -hmm. families where that wasn't an option, and mm -hmm. actually we uh, saw growing up our parents really battle through difficult, uh, you know, issues where, where probably you know the majority of people would have actually split up at some point, and so yeah. there mm -hmm. was a sort of sense that, that that word has never been part of our our. Um, a life vocabulary, and it's just not something we, we would ever consider. And, and I think you're right. I think we've created a, um, a sort of fragile situation by, by really almost putting that on the table from the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, almost an expectation that if you're one of the lucky ones, you'll get through. If you're not, uh, then of course mm -hmm. you can always sort of take that road. And, and I think that's that has provided a, a, an enormous, uh, um, you know, option that is that is really uh, made relationships brittle. And, and that's sad because, you know, mm -hmm. after two years, you'd say you haven't really even begun the journey. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet the number of people who would say, you know, we, we just can't reconcile these two lives. And um, I don't think that's the vision of the gospel uh, either. But um, but unfortunately, I think that's one of the cases where, uh, you know, the cultural assumption has, has seeped its way into, uh, into our Christian uh, psychology. You know, I think one of the ways the culture affects us also, and I think this is especially for men, is that everything around us is generally overtly sexual. I, I remember walking to the mall one time and seeing a girl coming my way, not like heading towards me, but going the way that I was going towards, and thought, okay, I'm going to do the thing every man's supposed to do, but look away, which I mm. usually do. <clears throat> look away. There's Victoria's Secret right there where I look away. Like, mm. okay, you really can't escape this. And <laughs> then seeing once the, some tables set out at the mall and seeing that there was a, a, a spa that had things. I was like, oh, I think I'll look. Maybe I can find something for Allie and give her a nice treat and such. And there was an advertisement with a picture of a lady leaving very little to imagination. Mm. Okay, I mean, this is the world that men especially live in. I mean, I, mm. I tell you, I always said, you don't know what a minefield we men live in. And chances are, if you knew what goes on in the mind of a man, you'd go out there wearing a burqa or a battle armor every single day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that has become radicalized, I think, in, mm. you know, obviously online. And, uh, and so, you know, if that is the physical journey you're describing, uh, there's mm. a sort of figurative journey now where, yeah. you, where you step out. And, and this is not in your mind. You know, you're not actually seeking out this imagery, but, but yeah. everywhere and, and even where you look away, there it is. And, and I think online it's become much worse. Because we, uh, you know, you'll just be on a news website and there'll be, uh, 
you know, a sidebar which will, will just have that sort of imagery down the side. And so, you know, guys will be looking at the stuff at home and uh, you're in private and then, you know, it, it, there, are, there are just almost no barriers to actually then traveling with that imagery. And, mm-hmm. you know, as they say, the, the online environment is dynamic. It's designed to, mm-hmm. um, to take you places that, that you never intended to, to, to go as you began the journey. And so, you know, I think that the nature of, of the, the, the private uh, online world, which is, um, you know, then changes the dynamic of the mall and all that imagery even more, uh, has uh, really radicalized um, mm-hmm. what men face in the church. And mm-hmm. so, you know, what we're seeing is actually a huge proportion of guys who are suffering with this sort of secret uh, form of, of habit with pornography and, and, and other things that they can't feel that they can actually break out of themselves, but they also don't feel like they can really share it with anyone. Right. Um, and so we have a real, I think that's a huge problem uh, for the church, and we're sort of mm. seeing that, uh, you know, really tear at the fabric of, of relationships, but also people's faith. And I think that's a tragedy. Yeah, I, I can't say in mind that something I did, I, mean, I never struggled with pornography, mm. but... Uh, I have made a goal since being married to want to be the best I can be, and I started a Facebook group for Christian men who were single, hoping to date and marry one day, men who were dating, men who were engaged, and men who were, who were already married, so we could help each other out to learn how to be good husbands for our current wives, or our future wives, or whatever, so that even people who are starting out, they can have others who can come along and say, yeah, we've been there, here's what you do, and such. and you know, it's no secret that usually this kind of topic comes up. How do we deal with issues involving pornography? Yeah, and it's a huge uh, issue. And I, I think uh, the only way we can really get to it is, um, you know, I think this is what the Apostle James talks about in Scripture of, um, you know, be honest with one, one another, confess your sins and pray mm-hmm. for each other. You might be healed. And, and I think that the real problem with, um, pornography is that it it traps people in isolation, even within relationships and marriages, um, mm-hmm. because there is a fear about what uh, self disclosure will, will lead to in terms of uh, you know the sense of shame and the sense of judgment. And so I don't. Uh, I mean, we can give people lots of advice about this. We can uh, teach them you know how to um, put in the right sort of protections, how to have practical discernment, you know, around sort of trying to uh, remove the tripwires because it's often an early, earlier decision rather than sort of the decision at the heat of the moment, which counts. But I think the key thing is that we actually need, as Christians, to be, to be persons in relationship. We actually need to be, have the sorts of layers of relationship where we can talk about these things in an environment of trust. And, uh, you know, we can find advice and support for each other. And so mm-hmm. I, I think this is where, and this is a, a classic example, is we had a group in this church in London who had come out of... Um, uh, they had come to faith quite recently uh, when we were there, and they were musicians and actors and, and people who sort of inhabited worlds that, um, uh, you know, where they had had pretty, they'd been exposed to a lot of things sexually. And they uh, had got to a point in their, where they had been a fa- in faith Christians for a few years, but w- were becoming quite frustrated about this inability to kind of kick some of these old habits. And so what they decided to do that they, they would get together once a week as a group and there was maybe it started with about 10 of them and they would be really honest with each other and they would confess all of the stuff and they would pray for each other and support each other and um, and you know we found just something really powerful about that in terms of having the courage to do it 
but also they, they realized they found some sort of solace in that because there was collegiality between what people were going through, quite similar sorts of things. But it wasn't, a, you know, let's just sympathize with each other. They really were seeking to sort of push forward and break some of these habits. And so I think what that really showed me was one thing guys have is when they flip and they find those sorts of relationships, there is actually a real courage and collegiality about that sort of honesty. And um, and we found that to be a really powerful thing, and it was really probably the only thing that helped some of these guys break these sort of patterns in their life. So that's mm-hmm. a huge challenge, I think, because we're we're really challenging a model of church which allows people to come and uh, you know essentially retain their private lives as their own mm-hmm. business. But I think for me, the broader vision of, of of the church is that we'd be we would be a community where we'd have layers of relationships where we would trust each other with mm-hmm. with this kind of deep confession. I, mean, I like to remind everyone that Deeper Waters is a listener-supported ministry, and since we have a blog, we're a reader-supported ministry as well. I hope you avail yourself of both of those resources, and I'd like to tell you how you can join us on this journey to support us, and you can do that by going to the website at deeperwaters.ddns.net. And then you uh, click links that says help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And when you click on that, you get to go to Risen Jesus, the ministry of Mike and Debbie Lacona. Have you gone to the right place? Yep. Those are my in-laws. They, they, my mother-in-law is a financial tax guru, especially with clergy taxes. So she handles that. And... Uh, when you make a donation, you contact me or Allie or Mike and Debbie and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And they will make sure that we get that donation. That donation will be tax deductible. Now, you can also go on Amazon, put my name in. You can buy some ebooks I've written or co-written, such as a Defining Inerrancy or a Creed for the Ages or a Groundless. And then, since we're talking about marriage, you know, guys, uh, Something a lot of your women might like is jewelry. A lot of women really love jewelry, and heck, if you're a single guy out there and this has got you think about marriage, especially if that lady you're dating right now and you're thinking of popping the question, I've got a resource for you. On our blog, you can support for work of Deeper Waters Ministries for purchase of jewelry. And you click on that link there and use the code word love, and my friend Lena Cluster handers everything there and when you purchase something through Premier Jewelers through that from her 25% of what you purchase will go towards deeper waters now that's a, a pretty good deal especially for you guys who want to show the ladies how much you love them now uh, Jonathan do you have an organization share that you'd like to see people donate or support Oh, we, well, we, I don't know how uh, large it is in, in the U.S., but there, there is two that we as a church uh, are, are very connected to and, and we've supported for a number of years, which is World Vision and Tear Fund. Uh-huh. And uh, so uh, particularly through both of those organizations, we have been uh, seeking to support uh, the refugees coming out of Syria. That's been a, a huge focus for us. So, um, yeah, I would highly recommend both those organizations as as great places to, to support. Uh-huh. Now let's get back to talking about our culture and such. I mean, we're Christians, we're living, and we need to build relationships and such. How do you think we can 
best daring things to change our hypersexualized culture? Uh, as as the Christian community? Yes. I think the the best. I mean, I think you know, this is a number of layers, uh, Nick, as you know. But um, yeah. I think part of that is is how we uh, play into the discourse. I think mm-hmm. as, as the church, as a Christian community, we have a real prerogative to do that. Uh, that prerogative of late, I think, has um, you know, has been caricatured in a certain way. It's become quite fragmented. Uh, but I, I think that the most powerful thing we always have as church is is, is what is our embodied vision? Uh, what what are we actually uh, seeking in 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 terms of of what we preach, and how does that actually take shape within our own communities? And mm-hmm. I think that is a a really challenging project. Um, but I think we have a really powerful um, opportunity there because I think the the um, framework and the foundation of Relationships in our culture, particularly married uh, covenant relationships, is becoming more and more brittle. Uh, that actually, one of the most powerful things I think in the future we're going to have as a mission, uh, and in terms of embodying our vision to others, uh, is actually the quality of our relationships and the longevity of our relationships, mm-hmm. uh, and the the joy and the um, you know the goodness people see within those. So, I think that you know that is obviously a, a, a long term project. It's um, but I think it's absolutely essential to the mission of the church is actually that we would become known as the place where um, where relationships last and where relationships are uh, you know embody certain virtues and certain um, dynamics and uh, you know I just see that as, as as absolutely critical and yet it's a it's a challenging project uh, because the question is always when people look to our communities do they see anything different mm-hmm. and I'm sad to say, I'm not sure if that's always the case. Yeah, something I've <clears throat> been saying for a while is, I mean, <clears throat> here in America we've been struggling, uh, especially with the Supreme Court decision to redefine marriage last year. Yeah. And how I've been saying for I said, you know, it, it's really sad that if the culture took the marriage pat idea down here, it's because the church did it first. Mm. And we've led the way in lowering marriage, unfortunately. And it looks like all of a sudden the homosexuals come up and say, hey, we want that too. And then we're, we're ready to fight for marriage. We're ready to <clears throat> go to death for marriage and everything. Mm. But we're ready to die for it, but we're not ready to live. For mm. We're not ready to say, no, we're going to show you what true marriage is meant to be like. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I think we've lost, uh, you know, the, some power in the discourse because of that. And I think, you know, as a, we, we started this conversation talking about, you know, uh, do we think uh, enough about sex? And, and I think, you know, there are there's some great things written in the public uh, square from a Christian point of view, and and I think we need to we need to speak really well into those issues. But but absolutely, I, I think we have focused on the law of marriage rather than the the, the real life of it. You know, how do we within our mm-hmm. communities fight for marriages um, you know we've become so casual uh, in our own churches and I think that's because we live out of a secular ideal that actually our private lives are, are exactly that they're private you know they're mm-hmm. not it's not the business of the pastor or the church or the community or anyone else mm-hmm. and I think that's a, um, uh, you know I think that's sort of a sad uh, withering of the, of the Christian vision of life which is actually we should be supporting each other because actually a, no marriage can really sustain on its own it's mm. meant to be uh, something that's really supported and fought for by the community. 
So, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think our, our huge project in, this, in these coming generations will be how do we um, embody and envision healthy relationships. I think that's going to be our mission to, to our culture. Well, what do you think the gospel of Jesus has to say to our culture about sexuality? I think there is, um, I, I mean, a, a number of things are sort of hard to uh, narrow it down, but I think what, uh, what, what Jesus would say to this culture about that is that, um, that our, our, our main goal, as he expresses in his own life, is, is faithfulness, it's fidelity mm-hmm. to, to others. And actually that faithfulness um, is, uh, doesn't come through this sort of pursuit of self-fulfillment, it actually comes through pouring ourselves out for the sake of another that's where we really find mm-hmm. uh, true fulfillment both as, as selves but also as sexual selves and so um, you know I guess there are these these two competing visions in the world and one would be the sort of secular one that actually the best way to satisfy yourself and to find real fruition mm-hmm. uh, is to pursue sexual activity wherever you can find it uh, and, to, and to really fulfill that appetite and I guess what the gospel of Christ would say is actually true fulfillment of the self in all areas especially sexuality comes when we uh, sacrifice ourselves for another that's where mm-hmm. we really find uh, fulfillment and I would say marriage you know is, is the metaphor used for the kingdom of God by yeah. through the Old Testament and by Jesus himself um, that he has given himself to the church mm-hmm. as the room and, um, and I think that's what we find in marriage is we actually embody that metaphor of, of what the kingdom of God is we, we give ourselves up for the other and then for family and for the sake of the community and that's actually where we find sexual fulfillment and, and I can honestly say that's true despite all the temptations of the last 20 years mm. that I really see sexual fulfillment now in the sacrificing for the sake of, of another mm-hmm. and vice versa yeah and when we're talking about the trust and faithfulness I think people often miss that that's what sexuality is all about. I mean, for a woman to put herself in that position of total vulnerability to another man, that requires a whole lot of self-sacrifice. And the man, in essence, makes a sacrifice as well. I mean, as I've heard before, I mean, the man literally dies when he comes in and makes love to his wife and he gives his life to her. Mm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. And and it's a um, it is a sacrifice of, uh, you know, it's a closing down of options, isn't it? And mm-hmm. and that's the uh, I think one of the really key things is we choose uh, one over all the others, and then uh, we we stick with that decision. And um, uh, you know, I I, I think that's another thing that Stanley mm-hmm. Parawas says really well is that you know, are we are we forming people within the Christian community who are able to uh, to do what they promise, who are able to actually faithfully follow through on the covenants they make? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think just going back to the question of marriages at the macro sort of social level, you know, I think this is possibly one thing we can learn uh, a little bit from the from the Catholics um, as Protestants is that they join it all up, you know, and so they have a, a much uh, more connected philosophy of actually if marriage is the very uh, metaphor which God uses for his relationship between he and his community, mm-hmm. then if we change the definition of marriage, then right. we are 
or, or if we lower our standards of marriage and, and, the, and the nature of faithfulness, mm-hmm. we actually undermine the very image and uh, uh, relationship that we live out of with God. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's connecting it up with actually our much mm-hmm. bigger picture of what we believe the gospel and theology to really be about. Yeah, I have a told my wife a few times that hey, getting to be married to you has been a better theological education sometimes than anything I've learned in seminary because being together is not just, you know, learning the facts of the gospel and such, and this isn't a Project's podcast, or we all know that's very important and such, but it's really seeing it where you have to live it, where you have to apply it, and the sexual aspect of that is definitely something that really, really shows it, because uh, like I said, the only word I can usually use to describe it is magical. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and I, you know, I think Nick, one of the really key things for me is, is mm. as a church, and this comes back to you know we don't think enough about sex. Is mm-hmm. that we most Christians, I think, would think about their marriage uh, and their family as a sort of separate category of their life. You know, I'm going to try and yeah. make that work, but it's really it's over here. It's on the side. It's a separate thing. And it's actually saying to um, to the church and, and, and to people that, that are under our care, um, actually, it, it's part of the whole, you know. And so, your marriage is part of the mission of the church. Mm-hmm. It's part of the health of the church. Um, mm-hmm. Your marriage and family is is uh, you know a kind of something that gives life to others. It's something that you can invite other people into to to support them and bring them health and and to provide an an image and a vision of of, of what their life might look like going forward and what a faithful relationship looks like. And so to really actually give that people a sense of vision, and I think it's a huge sense of responsibility that actually our marriages are connected to other people's lives and to the very mission and life of the church. Mm-hmm. And I think when we really grasp that vision, you start to think differently about how important your own relationship is, um, mm-hmm. and not just for yourself, but for the sake of others. And I think that's the game changer in terms of thinking about Christian marriage. Yeah, in talking about this kind of issue, also about Robert Gagnon, he's a he's a when we've had him on the show before, wrote the book The Bible and Homosexual Practice. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the very he, clear thinker. Isn't he? Oh and yes, he, yes, and someone you do not want to debate on that topic. He's a beast <laughs> in that area. Yeah. But um, he's a said that <clears throat> the church should have a sermon on sexuality at least once a month mm. and I agree with him because usually I mean way of, you could count on one hand I think for me the number of sermons I've heard on sex in my life yeah yeah I, I couldn't agree more I couldn't agree more and, and I think um, what that does exactly what I'm talking about before it puts it into the into the realm of this is the very stuff of the gospel. This is the very I think Jesus taught on on these things all the time, mm-hmm. um, on money, sex, and power. You know, these were the, I think the main themes around which most of his teaching really related because it's the stuff of real life. Um, and I, I I couldn't agree more. And that's something I write write in the book is actually we have essentially put these things out of the sanctuary and, and put them into separate courses and and things you can opt into if you want to do you know some marriage counseling or whatever it might be. But actually, these need to be the very material in our Sunday sermons because we need to connect up these private things and these uh, things that are sort of seen off limits for the pub for our for our discourse in church. We actually need to reconnect them uh, to being the very stuff of life, um, which is where the gospel is trying to get to. Um, 
and to break down that barrier of, hey, this is a private thing just for you. Mm-hmm. So I have, I, it's something I try and do all the time is to actually bring it into uh, the Sunday sermon as much as I can, maybe more than once a month. And I have noticed the discomfort people have with that as if it's somehow out of place. Yeah. But I think there's a re-education, you know, and a recalibration around that. Mm-hmm. So I think Robert Daniels is absolutely right about that. As we are getting close to the wrapping up time, if we're talking to Christian men who are in their marriages and wanting to do the same about living out their marriages, and we're talking with Christian women who are going to live out and build up their marriages so we can show a world they're placing, what separate advice would you give each of those people? Uh, Men and the women separately? Yes. And men may be together if you want to. Yeah, that's a that's a large topic of conversation. But I I would say that um, for guys particularly, you know, we're we're very prone to compartmentalization, and so mm-hmm. we're able to say, hey, the the um, the crush I have on my secretary at work or, or that colleague at work, that's no big deal. You know, it's under control. It doesn't really relate to my wife. Uh, that imagery that I see on my computer every now and again, that's no big deal. It doesn't. It's not connected. It's a different thing. And uh, and also with guys, we're, we're able to suppress uh, things. And so, um, you know, we're able to sort of travel with, uh, say, a dysfunction in a relationship in our own marriages or, or whatever it might be, uh, and not to really ask the honest questions. And so I would say as, as guys to really actually self-examine. And I think part of that self-examine is uh, to actually find someone, which is probably an older person that we, we can fully trust, and just to... Uh, give them permission uh, to help us to really examine our life and our relationship and how these mm-hmm. things connect. And that's a hugely challenging thing to do. But I think that's probably the most transformational thing we can do because as guys, <coughs> we are prone to compartmentalization. It suits us. Uh, and some, for some reason, the male brain is able to do that uh, and, to, and to sort of travel with, with all those different compartments. But I think to, to really live the full Christian life and to, to come to full maturity in our relationships, we actually need to closely examine how the different bits of our lives connect together. And I think that's a really important thing to bring an older, wiser, responsible person into. And I would say also to, um, you know, to really open ourselves up uh, to our wives as guys and to really seek to understand uh, what are the ways in which we can really connect up uh, and communicate well. Um, You know, I remember that little uh, love languages thing was uh, a Christian cliche, but it, it was hugely powerful for, for my wife and I actually understanding mm-hmm. each other because we, we were just miscommunicating uh, our affection for each other. And so just how uh, do we seek ways of understanding each other well? And that might be as a guy committing to going to a marriage course together, which, which really seeks to get into that dialogue, or maybe going to a marriage counselor and seeing that as a really positive thing rather than a negative thing. Um, and so, uh, as women, I mean, uh, probably uh, similar advice, but it might be more about, hey, when you see issues um, with your husband, uh, with a guy, what's the best way uh, to to go at those things? What's the best way to actually open up that in, in a constructive way? And I think what can often happen with guys is, is um, wives might take those things head on and guys become defensive. And so the question is always, you know, what is <clears throat> a way... Of, of raising those issues um, which is not going to raise the defensive um, wall and stop them getting through but what is a, a way that is a shrewd way 
of um, affirming your husband at the same time uh, as you seek sort of resolution about certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> that, I think, is why God has given women great wisdom, serpentine wisdom, you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't even begin to um, pretend to understand the mind of a woman. So I'd, yeah. I'd be very conscious of not giving too much advice, Nick. Yeah, well, I could say, yeah, women, if you want to find a, a way to affirm your man, but there's usually one great way that we, we talked about this show that really affirms your man a lot. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and, and I guess that's a really key thing is, is people will often, the way we think and talk about sex is, is a sort of double-sided thing, that it's a reflection of relational intimacy. And so what you hope, you know, what you plan for is health that leads to um, increasing sexual intimacy. But sex itself can also be an intimacy uh, a developer. And mm. so... Uh, Actually, remaining sexually intimate, even at difficult times and challenging times in a relationship, actually, I think, is God's way of giving us glue in difficult times. And I understand how difficult that is, but that's right. I think that's a, a good way of, of uh, affirming a guy and also uh, providing him a sense of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, now, we're again at a time where we do have to come to a close to this, unfortunately. And do you have a, a blog or a website or email where people can get in touch with you? Uh, they can. I don't have a blog. Uh, unfortunately, as a, as a pastor, I, I barely have time for sleep. But um, there is a, a website that you can get hold of me, uh, which is our St. Paul's uh, Church website. Uh, and that is St. Paul's, S-T-P-A-U-L-S dot org, O-R-G dot N-Z. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is Divine Sex. It's by Jonathan Grant. You can buy it right now. I'm looking on the Amazon page on Kindle. For nine ninety nine, and folks, this is a good one. I very recommend getting it. Do you have a, any final words, Jonathan, for the Deeper Waters audience today? Uh, not much more to say. We've had a, I think we had a good discussion, but I, I um, just to say that I, my real <clears throat> sense of conviction around this area is that it's, it would be for us as, as Christians and as the church, one of the really key parts of our mission to our culture is the quality and the depth of our relationships. And so uh, as the church and as Christians, I think what we do here is going to be really pivotal uh, in terms of the um, you know, the life and, and the good news that we bring to our culture. Mm-hmm. Well, Jonathan, I'd like to thank you for coming on today, and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'd love to come back. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Nick. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that next time we're going to have Gary Habermas on and we are going to be talking about the case for the resurrection of Jesus in preparation for your Easter Sunday. For now, I am Nick Peters and I am signing off. <laughs>